So we're in Isaiah chapter 7 this morning, and we'll be in 1 through 17. The title of my message is God with Us, and our Christmas sermon series is called For Unto Us, and we'll be in Isaiah all month long with the exception of the last Sunday, the 31st, and the reason that I wanted us to go to Isaiah um, is we'll, we'll be going through the Gospels in our special services and things like that, doing some Gospel readings about the birth narrative of Christ. But I wanted us to take a, a new look, a new angle into the birth of Jesus, um, coming at it from the book of Isaiah, which is 700 plus years before the birth of Christ. Because one of the things that I didn't understand growing up was that all of the Bible was centering towards this one person, Jesus Christ. I thought it was just a bunch of isolated stories, and I was supposed to do my best to imitate or emulate those characters inside those stories. But really, when we look at the book of Isaiah, what I'm going to show you all month long is all of it is preparing for the birth of Jesus Christ to come into our world and to change our world by giving his life for us on the cross. And so this morning, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7, a prophecy you're probably very familiar with where it talks about the virgin uh, giving birth to a son, naming him Emmanuel. Um, and that means, of course, God with us. But there's something else behind that prophecy we're going to talk about, about how God applies that in that day. And so God is able, uh, God's able to do some awesome things with this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. When we dive in this morning, we're going to meet a very wicked king named King Ahaz. And he rules over the southern kingdom of the people of Judah. Now, his dad, Jotham, and his granddad, Uzziah, were some of the best kings that Judah had. But Ahaz himself was one of the worst kings in a hundred years. Scripture actually tells us that he burned his own son as a burnt offering to the pagan gods. You find that in 2 Kings 16. He burned incense to the fertility goddesses of the region. And here in chapter 7, we're going to see him form an evil alliance with the Assyrian Empire, who was like the Nazis of their day. And he does this in exchange for military protection. He's afraid that God's not able to protect him and his people. So he goes to the big schoolyard bully, so to speak, and he says, Hey, um, I'll be your son, I'll be your servant, your slave, if you will protect me and protect our kingdom of Judah. In fact, he takes the silver and gold from the Lord's temple and gives it to the king of Assyria um, in exchange for, uh, for protection. And so he forms this alliance. I don't know how many of you watch the show Survivor still. It feels like it's been on for about 50 years now. Um, I don't know how they keep finding new islands to host this show on, but somehow uh, they find new contestants who go to these islands, and the goal of the show Survivor is to stay on the island as long as you possibly can. And if you stay on the longest, then you win the title of Survivor and you win the money. Uh, and so one of the ways that the contestants manage to make this happen is they form these alliances. And so the alliances provide strength in numbers. The alliances help them uh, in many different ways. Like if they're uh, going to you know, build a hut out of um, you know, palm branches or something like that, they have a, a team of people. But sometimes these alliances wind up being their downfall. Okay, And so they think they can trust somebody who winds up kind of stabbing them in the back and then they get ousted from the island. That's in essence what happens to the king of Judah and to the people therein. Let me give you a little background. Um, we studied the book of Jonah uh, months and months and months back. And I don't know if you remember this, but we learned about the people of Nineveh and the horrible things that they did to their enemies. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Okay, This is the same Assyrian empire. 
So if you were taken captive by the Ninevites, uh, they would do something like this. They would strip you naked. They would impale you on a pole, run a pole through your body, impale you on a pole, and leave you exposed to the heat of the sun and the cold at night and the wild animals and things like that. They left you to die. They would also take their enemies and they would pull their tongues out of their mouths and stake them to the ground and leave you there to fight off the wild animals and exposure to the elements while your tongue was staked to the ground. Probably not what you thought you'd hear in a Christmas sermon series, right? But I'm trying to kind of help you see uh, that this is who Judah, this is who Ahaz is going to to seek protection and seek help. He's basically befriending the biggest, meanest bully in the schoolyard to save his own neck. You say, well, why is he doing it? Ultimately, here's why he's doing it. Because he doesn't trust that God will come through and keep his promise to protect his people. And so he connives and he schemes all these plans of self-salvation. And what they really reveal is a failure to trust in God. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 7. And we'll read our scripture together. Isaiah 7 starting in verse 1. It says, This took place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, Son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Aram's king Rezin and Israel's king Pekah, son of Ramalia, went to fight against Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it became known to the house of David, that's talking about Judah, that Aram had occupied Ephraim, that's Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out with your son, Shir Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool by the road of the launderer's field. Say to him, calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks, the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. For Aram, along with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia, has plotted harm against you. They say, let's go up against Judah, terrorize it and conquer it for ourselves. Then we can install Tabil's son as king in it. This is what the Lord God says. So this is Isaiah's message to him. It will not happen. It will not occur. The chief of Aram is Damascus. The chief city of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. That's the northern kingdom of Israel. The chief of Ephraim is Samaria. And the chief city of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz replies, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, listen, house of David. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring on you, your people, and your father's house such a time as has never been since Ephraim separated from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Let's pray together. 
Father, there's a lot in here in these 17 verses. There's a lot tucked into this passage that we could sort of just miss and some important details that help us to understand what you are doing in your people, Judah, in the midst of all this. God, help us to have clarity this morning in our thinking. Help us to really tune in with our thinking and with our hearts. Father, I pray you would apply these words to our hearts that we might walk out of here today understanding how you were preparing for the birth of your son even 700 plus years before he came to earth. All of this, Father, is a part of your good plan to save and rescue people and to draw them into this relationship with Jesus Christ, your son. Help us to understand, help us to apply, to be people that obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said together, amen. So I've organized this message under three headings. I'll kind of walk through those in just a minute. The first one is this, that times of crisis reveal the object of our faith or objects of our faith. So when we go through a crisis, many, many times, uh, kind of the veneer is stripped away and what we truly trust in, where we truly put our faith is totally revealed. So when I just read those 17 verses, if that's the first time you've seen that since last Christmas, perhaps, or maybe in a long time, you're trying to keep up with who is King Rezin, and who is King Pika, and who is Syria, and who is uh, Ephraim, and, and which one's Israel. So here's what I've done. Emily's helped me out this week. We've got a slide that they're going to show on the screen that's hopefully going to put a visual in your mind, and all these eras make sense. So I'm going to do my best to explain this. So I'm going to kind of turn around here so you can kind of see where I'm pointing, Okay. So here's how this works. You've got the Assyrian Empire down here on the bottom. You see the big, bad, mean-looking king there on the bottom? You've got the Assyrian Empire ruled by a guy named Tiglath-Pileser III. We'll call him TP3 for short. Is that cool? All right. TP3 for short. He's ruling the Assyrian Empire, but he's no joke. He's a bad, bad guy. He's hungry to gobble up land all around him and increase his empire. Then over here on the other side, on the far left side on the top... You've got King Rezin. Some say Rezin, however you pronounce it, tomato, tomato. Um, and then he is ruling over the people of Aram. Now you will also see that called Syria. So we've got King Rezin, small little kingdom ruling over Aram, uh, also called Syria. Then you've got King Pekah. We put those the same because they're kind of in league together, okay? And he is the king over the northern kingdom of Israel, also called Ephraim or Ephraim, depending on how you pronounce that. So the arrows that go back and forth between those guys show this, that these two smaller kingdoms were in league together. That's what I just read to you in Isaiah 7. Okay, Why? Because they were really deathly afraid of TP3. Okay, They were afraid TP3, he's like the Darth Vader of that day. He's going to move in and take over. And so they say, we're going to come together. We're going to form an alliance between these two smaller kingdoms and the big arrow to the right, we're going to go to Ahaz. Now, he looks like a happy guy, doesn't he? He's pretty miserable right now, to be honest with you. They go to Ahaz, and they say, Ahaz, listen, here comes TP3 in the Assyrian Empire. They're going to run us over. Why don't you join with us, and all three of us will fight together, and we can you know, hopefully fend off an attack against Assyria and TP3. Ahaz says, nope, I'm not doing it. Instead, you see this arrow all the way down the right side. He goes over here to TP3, who is over the Assyrian... Are you confused yet? Okay, we're doing okay, all right? We're doing... Some of you... Okay, hang with me. So he goes to TP3, and he says, Listen, I'll be your son. I'll be your slave, your servant. Our people will serve you if you'll give us protection. 
Now, the Assyrian Empire didn't believe anything that the people of Judah were supposed to be believing. Okay? They were completely ungodly pagan doing their own thing, taking over land and gobbling up people groups. And Ahaz sells out God's people, the people of Judah, for military protection. And so he goes into the temple of the Lord and he says, I'm going to take the silver, I'm going to take the gold, I'm going to give it to TP3 over here so that I know he's going to protect me. You can find all this in 2 Kings 16. I promise I'm not making this up. It's a crazy story. And so this visual hopefully will help you kind of, uh, kind of put these things together. So when Ahaz, the guy, leave that up for me if you guys will up there. When Ahaz finds out that these two smaller kingdoms are coming against him, verse 2 says, he's shaking like a tree in the wind. Now, I don't know how many hunters we have in here, um, but I, I've been hunting before. When I, I was sitting in a stand, I was in a, a lock on in the tree. My dad's over here in a climbing stand, and he's going to video the hunt, and the wind gets up, and I'm sitting in this tree, and I'm going left, and I'm kind of going right, and I look over at my dad, and I'm like, are we okay right now? Because I feel like I'm going to fall, you know, 18 feet to the ground. And he's like, you're good, you're good, just settle down. Ahaz finds out that his kingdom is about to get attacked by these two small, and he starts shaking left and shaking right. He's got nothing to center him during this time of crisis. Why? Because he's not running to God. The scripture plainly tells us this time of crisis exposed his lack of trust. And so instead of running to God in faith and saying, I know who you are. My dad and my granddad told me who you are. They promised me that you will bring this, this covenant of David through this family line. Instead of running to God in faith, you know what Ahaz does instead? He runs from God in fear. He could have run to God in faith and instead he runs from God in fear. He takes his eyes off of God and he fixes his eyes on these two small kingdoms, these two minor league kings. What does Isaiah call them? Smoldering sticks. They're going out. They're going out. They're smoldering. There's nothing to them. There's no life in them. I heard an older pastor tell me this one time. He said he's often told people this in crisis. There's only two ways you're going to go through this crisis in your life right now. Either with God or without God. There's no other option. We either go through the crises we face with God or without God. And think about your life right now. Think about where you are. Every one of you in this room is either heading towards a crisis or you're in a crisis or you've just come out of a crisis, right? There's no fourth option. We're heading to one, we're in one, or we're coming out of one. The question is, will we go through those with God or will we, like faithless Ahaz, reject God and push him away? We find out in crises how frail we really are and how strong God really is. Listen to Andy Davis, pastor of First Baptist Durham. He says, God brought this crisis on Ahaz to show him how empty his soul was and how great was his need to trust in the Lord. God brought this into his life to reveal the emptiness inside that he could not see. And the only way he was going to see it was to walk through this crisis and have the crisis rip away the veneer and see that I have nothing inside here, no faith in God to depend on. Remember, we go through things with God or without God. Ahaz is rejecting and pushing him away. See, God knows how feeble and frail and fearful you really are. God knows how feeble and frail and fearful, I really am. Can I level with you this morning? 
I sat over here this morning, just 20 minutes ago, and looked at my wife, and I said, pray for me. Battling inside, battling fear. Right before I get up to stand and proclaim the word of God to you, I'm no different than any one of you. We all find out in a crisis how frail we really are, how fragile, how breakable, how feeble. But we find out how strong God is when we trust in him. That's why he loves to intervene. That takes us to verse number three. Second truth, God is sovereignly involved in every detail of our lives. He knows how scared Ahaz is. But wait a minute, Ahaz is supposed to be the king watching over his people and he's shaking like a tree in the wind. God knows it, so he sends Isaiah and his son, Shir Jashub. He says, take this message to faithless Ahaz in verse 4. Say to him, calm down and be quiet. Think about your troubles, your crises in your life. What do you do? Typically, you know what most of us do? We go to talking, don't we? We just go to yap, 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 chat, chat, chat. I do the same thing. We find somebody around us. We pull them in. Listen to what I'm going through. Listen to my troubles. Instead, he says, calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks. You ever pulled a stick out of the fire? And what does it do when it ceases to be on fire? It smolders, right? And it's going out. That's what God is calling these two smaller kingdoms you saw on the left side here because their kingdoms are fading. God knows about their plan. They want to terrorize Judah. They want to rip out the the kingly line of David and cut it off. And they want to put a puppet king in place, Tabiel's son. So they can tell Tabiel what to do and they can do away with this people of Judah. But what does verse 7 say? The Lord God says, it will not occur. This will not happen. Well, you say, why not? Well, number one, God said so. When you're a kid, didn't you get tired of, you ask your mom, why, why, why? And what did mom and dad say? Because I said so, right? I think that's what God is saying right here, because I said so. Whatever I say goes, and when God says it, it doesn't matter if those people are warring and fighting against God. What God says happens. But second, listen to this, don't miss this. A lot of things hang on this. Number two, God made a promise 300 years before all of this happened, that he's going to bring a savior to the world. And he's going to bring that savior to the world through this family line of David. He made a covenant with David. That's not just a, a promise. That's not a first grade pinky promise like, you know, can, can I hold you to your word here? This is a, a serious covenant between God and man, between a superior and an inferior saying, I'm going to do something on behalf of you. And he's not going to let these two minor league kings stop him. Look at verse 8. God tells Ahaz, within 65 years. That's a short lifespan, is it not? Within 65 years, he says, Israel or Ephraim would be so decimated they would no longer be a nation. What happened to Israel in 722 BC? Just 12 years later, Assyria crushed them in defeat. Right inside of that time frame, exactly what God said, Israel is crushed. What's the bottom line, Josh? Here's the bottom line. You and I are entirely free to make the conscious choices that we make. But guess what? God sovereignly orders his world to achieve his perfect ends. He gives us freedom. He gives us the ability to make choices, but they fit mysteriously within the sovereign will of God that he works for your life and for mine. You say, where do you see that in Scripture? Genesis 50, 20. Joseph says this to his brothers. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. To do what? 
bring about the salvation of many people. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. God's plan will be established. So whatever crisis you are going through, take heart in truth number two today. Take heart in this prophecy in Isaiah 7. Whatever you are going through, God is sovereignly ordaining His world to bring about His perfect plan in your life. Philippians 1.6, I quote this to you all the time. What God begins in you, He will bring to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You ever heard this stuff about history repeats itself? Right? And we say that all the time. Go, go, go research that. That's an Eastern philosophy idea. We're not repeating ourselves. We're not spinning around in the, in the dryer or the, the washer of history. We are moving in a linear fashion towards a point. That if you go, go study the Eastern philosophies and ideologies, they say that history just repeats itself and mankind continues to cycle back through this existence on earth. That's not biblical. We are moving towards an appointed day. When Christ Jesus, where we celebrate his birth, he's not going to come back as a baby. He's coming back as a victorious, conquering king. And he's going to take all of his people with him who have trusted in him through faith in Jesus Christ and repented of their sins. And he's taking you and I to heaven with him if we have trusted in him. Amen? Amen. Back during World War II, one of America's mighty bomber planes was headed for Kokura City, Japan with its deadly cargo. But on that day, clouds covered the target area. So the plane circled and circled and circled for nearly an hour, trying to find its target area to drop the bomb. And what happened was the fuel supply became dangerously low, so the captain and his crew had to change their mission. So instead of going for their primary target, they instead went for their secondary target to fulfill their mission and head back home. When they changed course and went towards their secondary target, they found this. The skies were completely clear. So they went about their mission, they dropped the bomb, bombs away, and they headed back for their home base. Sometime later, the Americans received this information. Just one week before that bombing mission, the Japanese had transferred one of their largest concentrations of captured Americans to Kokura City. After reading this, the officer in charge said, thank God for that protecting cloud. If it If the city hadn't been hidden from the bomber, it would have destroyed thousands of American boys that day. John Nelson Darby said this, God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes that he is behind. We have to learn this and let him work. Think about what you're going through in your life right now. I don't even know what it is. Maybe no one else in this room But you and the Lord know what it is. God is working and moving behind the scenes in your difficulty, in your trial, in your crisis, in your fear. Maybe someone in this place this morning has your coat and tie on or your Sunday vest on and your Sunday smile on, but inside you're shaking like a tree in the wind. Maybe you looked at somebody this morning and you said, pray for me, I'm afraid. God knows. God knows. And I read a psalm this morning that told me this. God is still on his throne. He's not abdicated his place. He's not fallen asleep on you. He is sovereignly bringing about his perfect plan. Verse 9, Isaiah sternly warns Ahaz. Listen to this. Church, hear this. 
If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. We are people of faith. We step out on faith. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by nothing else but faith in Him. If we, we don't come to Christ by faith and then try to live by our own ability and strength and power. We are people of faith that walk by faith. If we don't stand firm in faith, you know what? We will not stand. Truth number three. God stoops down to the point of our weakness to save us. God stoops down in the midst of, at the lowest point of your weakness and my weakness to rescue us and save us and point us toward himself. In verse 10 and 11, God gives an incredible deal, an incredible deal to old faithless Ahaz. He says, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol. You say, what in the world? Sheol It's the place of the dead. It can be as deep as the place of the dead or as high as the highest heavens. Andy Davis says this, it's like God hands a blank check to Ahaz and says, here, you fill in the amount, I'll take care of the rest. What's God trying to do? What's he trying to do for Ahaz and the people of Judah? He's trying to build their faith. He's trying to build their faith in the midst of this crisis they are stumbling through. He wants them not to look at their circumstances, not to look at their bank account. Not to look at the military protection around them, but to lift their eyes upward and to see God. And to let that vision of God strengthen their heart and strengthen their soul. Isaiah chapter 6. What did Isaiah say? In the year King Uzziah died. Who's Uzziah? Ahaz's grandpa. Not long ago in the year that good King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne. And what was Isaiah's response? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah was living through tragedy, but his vision of God sustained him. Some of you this morning in this place need to fix your eyes on Jesus instead of on what you're looking at around you. I'm talking to me. Talking to me too. We need to lift our eyes upward. And so he enters into Ahaz's weakest moment and he says, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you as a sign. And what does old faithless king Ahaz do? He pretends to be real religious, real pop. Oh no, far be it from me, far be it from me to test the Lord my God. Right, right Ahaz. Really? Come on man. So what does Isaiah say to him in verse 13, he fires back. Listen here, you house of David. Now, why did he call him house of David? It's that covenant reminder. He is reminding him, you are over a people that is preserving, that God is preserving to bring his Savior through. This is the reference to the covenant with David. He says, listen, you're going to try my patience and you're going to try God's patience enough. God will give you the sign. If you're not going to do what God wants, God will take matters into his own hands. Let me apply that to where we live today. What are we trying to do in so many different ways in our culture? Save ourselves. We connive and we scheme these efforts at self-salvation, but the only way for anyone to be saved is to repent of their sin and look to Jesus and live. That's it. There's no other option. 
And Ahaz here in the Old Testament is refusing to do it just like the Pharisees refused to do it. And maybe like someone in this place is refusing to do it today. Don't look anywhere else. Don't look at this Christmas tree. Look at the Christ it represents. So he says, here's the sign. Verse 14. See, the virgin will conceive. Have a son. And name him Emmanuel. God with us. By the time he learns to reject what is good and reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. So there's going to be a boy born immediately in this day. And before that boy gets old enough to choose right and wrong, he says these two kingdoms, they're going to come to nothing. He says, the Lord will bring on you, your people and your father's house, such a time as never been seen since Ephraim and Israel separated. What does that mean? They became two kingdoms. He will bring the king of Assyria. So this is fulfilled in two ways. Don't miss this. This is awesome. This is beautiful, right? You ever heard kill two birds with one stone? God does one better. Listen, in the immediate, here's how he fulfills it. The Hebrew word for virgin has two meanings. The Hebrew word for virgin means a young woman of marriageable age and usually but not always implies sexual virginity. In this context, go to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah's wife was the young woman the scholars think he was, that God was speaking about. And she would bear a son to Isaiah at the start of chapter 8. And the prophecy said the land of the two kings would come to nothing before this boy would be able to choose right and wrong. In the Hebrew culture, that's 12 years of age. So 734 is when this prophecy was given. When was the northern kingdom overrun? 722. Do the math. 12 years. What year did the smaller kingdoms form an alliance? 732. When was Aram destroyed? 732. Two years. So two kingdoms were brought to nothing at the word of God just because he spoke it into being. And the birth of this boy was a timepiece. It was like a watch. And as his life went, when he got to a certain age, God said, within that time, I'm going to bring these other two kingdoms to nothing. All you have to do is trust me. But what did Ahaz do? He failed to trust God. But there's another way and a better way this prophecy is fulfilled. Matthew's gospel in the New Testament begins by tracing Jesus' genealogy. Goes all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Jews. Listen to Matthew 1. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Which prophet, church? Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You see, in the, in the Greek, the word for virgin here is parthenos. This word parthenos clearly indicates a young woman who's had no physical relations with a man. They are clearly, I mean, God is stacking the deck against himself. He's narrowing it down to not just a young woman of marriageable age, but a young woman without any relations is going to conceive and bear a son. And it was in this way that Isaiah was looking 700 years forward in time and saying, 
God's going to send Christ, the virgin-born son, who would be called Emmanuel because God had now become a man and come to live with us. Isn't that awesome? That God can speak one prophecy and he can take care of it in 722 and 732 BC, but he can also take care of it in our day today. That's awesome, man. Romans 4, 20 and 21, talking about Abraham, says this. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because, listen church, he was fully convinced that God had promised what he had promised he was able also to do. Whatever your need is today, whatever crisis you face today, Whatever situation you are in where you look at someone around you or you text them this afternoon or you had a conversation this past week, you said, pray for me, I'm struggling. Remember this, the question before you is the same question before Ahaz. Will you waver in unbelief or will you put your full trust in God who wants to give his very best to you in your life? Whatever it is today, stop scheming up ways to save your own neck. Stop scheming up and conniving ways to save your own neck and turn it over to God and say, God, I don't know what to do, but like Jehoshaphat, my eyes are on you. If you sit here this morning and you say, you know something? My life is absent, just like Ahaz. My life is absent of that relationship with the Father Because I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. That's your first step this morning. That's the first thing you need to take care of today. Today is the day of salvation. God's calling out to you. You've heard the gospel preached all the way from Isaiah chapter 7, 700 years before Jesus came. And we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. But here's what I'm asking you today. If you are empty inside and you know that there's no sustaining life within you, no spiritual life within you, because you're scheming up ways to save yourself, I'm calling you today to lay that down. I'm asking you today to repent of your schemes of self-salvation, and you're conniving, and you're figuring, and you're strategizing, and come to God in faith and say, I need to be saved. I want Jesus in my life. I want my sins washed away. I want to be white as snow. And when I celebrate Christmas, this Christmas, I will understand it's not about the gifts under that tree. It's that the gift was given on a tree for us through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. That's what Christmas is about. Not just in Matthew, but way back in the book of Isaiah. God has been preaching to a lost world for couple thousand years now, calling out and saying, come to Christ in faith. Lay aside whatever you're trusting in. It will crumble in eternity. Your hope needs to be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Let's pray.